The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in this world, because we have people from around the world that are joining us, and we'd like to welcome all of you to I Love Braille, which is sponsored by the East Bay Center for the Blind and supported by the American Council of the Blind. I'd like to thank our streamer, Darcy, and I'd like to also thank our Zoom host, Ibrahim. So today we have the distinct pleasure of having Debbie Good, and Debbie, I'm a, I apologize, I can't, don't pronounce your, last, your other part of your name, but I know Debbie as Debbie Good. She used to teach French and Spanish, at the uh, Hadley School for the Blind, and I was her student for several years, and it is so good to see her, and we are so happy. We are all going to be going to France today, so we all need to put on our, I guess we could say our virtual, uh, the VR, you know, like people use. Um, let's just pretend that we are going to be in France with Debbie. So, Debbie, take it away. Okay, merci, merci Terry, and it's so nice to be here with all of you, and I recognize a few of these names from when I was at Hadley. So today I'm going to take you on a tour to Paris, and we will be visiting the home and museum of Louis Braille. And first of all, I want to tell you how to, how to pronounce Louis Braille in French, because, of course, um, that would be a good thing to do if you go to France. So I was a foreign language teacher many years. You're all muted. No one's gonna hear you. I want you to repeat after me. We're gonna do Louis Braille in French. So repeat, Louis. Once again, Louis. And then uh, Braille is Braille. Braille. Okay, now the whole thing is Louis Braille. Louis Braille. Okay, I'm sure you were all fantastique, fantastic. <laughs> so, um, when I first became acquainted with Braille um, many years ago, I didn't realize that I could visit the birthplace of Braille, literally. So I hope you all get a chance sometime in your life. If you have the good fortune of going to Paris, you can hop on a train one of the suburban trains, Paris called the RERA, and head towards Disneyland Paris, because that's the train line you'll take. So it's about a 45 minute train ride. You get off at the Disneyland Paris stop. Then you will find a bus that will take you on about a 10 minute drive, very close to Louis Braille's home. So this is the original home where Louis Braille was born and spent his childhood and would visit periodically. It's a typical um, early 1800 house and it's located in the city of Coupvray. Let me spell that for you. C-O-U-P-V-R-A-Y. Coupvray. Coupvray. <laughs> it's a little town, as you would think, you know, like a typical, like, charming, quaint little French town with a lot of 
stone houses, some narrow streets curving around that have probably been there for like a couple hundred years at least. And the home of Louis Bray, you will come upon, um, it's a three-story house. Well, the third story is actually just an attic. And it's stone on the outside. And there's a little sign that says Maison Louis Bray. Maison means home or house of Louis Bray. So you would enter and you would pay your seven euros, which is really isn't that much money. Uh, it's open every day except Monday. And in the winter, I think it's uh, closed Mondays and Fridays. And they have tours every hour. But when I came, I had not uh, arranged it in advance. You know, according to their website, if you go there now, you should email them in advance and, you know, reserve a place. But it's, it was pretty informal. When I went there, it was 2019. <clears throat> so I paid my seven euros. And immediately to my right was like a bust of the head of Louis Bray. So it could be explored tactically, which was great. There's also uh, available like a little model of the house itself that could be explored tactically. And there's like a little wooden bench where you could sit. And then the caretaker, the care, I would say the, well, I'll call him the tour guide, but I think he does everything there, <laughs> uh, would greet you and you would say like, bienvenue, you know, welcome. And then I'm going to describe now what you would encounter once you enter the home, after you go through the, the entrance. You could explore the bus of Louis Bray. And also on the wall, by the way, in that same little entrance is a panel about the Institut des Jeunes Aveugles. That's where Louis Bray went to school and where he taught many years. There's a little like informational thing about him. So the biggest room of the house is, they call it la salle commune, the common room. And the room is furnished just as it would have been, you know, in the 1800s. You can imagine, you know, 1809, <laughs> where Louis was born. And what's fascinating about it is that you can really imagine that you're there. Now, I'm sighted, so I didn't explore things tactically, but I'm sure that you could if you wanted to. And just a little bit, bit of background about how this even became a museum. I Maybe I should back up. So the Bray home stayed in the family for a period of time until uh, I think it was like around 1880. And then at that time, it was running out to different people. But finally, um, there was the idea brought by the uh, Association Les Amis de Louis Bray, which is Association of the Friends of Louis Bray, to restore it and to start a museum. And that happened in 1952. And I'll be speaking about 1952 a little bit. Uh, after I finish talking to you about the house, we will talk about where Louis Bray's remains are buried and the amazing thing that happened in 1952. But anyway, one, anyway, one of the amazing things was that the home was purchased by this union the world and the world blind union managed it and it became a museum in 1956. so in the salle commun you've entered there now the room has plaster walls and has large wooden beams embedded into the ceiling and as you enter the room on your right side there's a large grandfather clock 
In the center of the room is a long wooden table with two place settings on it and a candle and a bottle of wine and there's a chair scooted partially under the table. On the right side of the room is a hutch where dishes are stored and in front of it is a life-size mannequin of Madame Braille, Louise's mother. She's wearing an ivory-colored kerchief on her head. It's tight in the back. She's wearing a blue and white striped skirt with an ivory shirt and a black apron over the skirt, and she has an ivory shawl covering her shoulders. She's looking over it at a little Louis Braille, who's sitting on a wooden chair, so they have a mannequin with him also. He looks like he's maybe like four or five. He's wearing black and white check pants, a blue shirt, a black cap. He's wearing brown boots. And he has kind of a little smile on his face. <laughs> to the left of Louis is a large fireplace with family photos and candles and a candelabra resting on the mantel. There's firewood in the fireplace. A large black iron pot is hanging from the inside of the fireplace. And I'm sure that would be where the heat would come from, as well as where the family meals were cooked. A spinning wheel is nearby with some wool yarn coming out of it. So that's like the right side of the room. And then to the left of the room, there are shelves with pitchers and bowls resting on the pots and pans or hanging on the side of the wall. Also on the right side of the pots and pans that are hanging is a small upright piano. And there's more family photos hanging on the wall behind the piano. At the back of this common room is a little bedroom that opens to the common room. It doesn't have a door on it. There are thin little curtains which partially obscure the view into the bedroom. There's a small bed there that takes up almost the whole little bedroom. This is where the parents slept. And by the way, this is the only room where there was heat, as I understand. So the parents slept out. The kids slept on the second floor. So that is the common room. And it's very charming because, as I said, it looks just like it would have been in the time of Louis. Very charming. Now, now we're going to exit this common room and go to the atelier. This is the workshop where his father worked. As you know, uh, his father was a saddle and harness maker. So you can imagine that the room would have lots of tools in it, which it did. So the workshop has saddles resting on the floor against a wall and a glass display case are hung. Tools that are typical that one would use to make saddles. There's an old large wooden table pushed against the wall. On it are typical tools his father would have used, like. Uh, like a mallet and different pointy tools. At this point, the tour guide told us the story of how the three-year-old Louis was playing in a workshop. And when his father wasn't there, he tried copying what his father would do uh, when he would take an awl, like a pointy thing, and then pierce a piece of leather to make a hole. As you probably all know, unfortunately, the awl slipped and poked Louis in the eye. It got infected. Then the infection spread to the other eye and he was completely blind by the age of five. So I won't go into the whole story of Louis Play. I'm sure many of you are familiar with it and know more about it than I do. <laughs> um, but it was very touching the way the tour guide told the story. And you can kind of, you know, feel like, oh my goodness, what a occasion that would have been. What a sad thing. You know, they, they called the surgeon in the very next day they did all they could to help Louis, but um, I'm sure they didn't have antibiotics and the medical science wasn't such that they could save his sight. Now we're going to go up a narrow staircase up to the second floor. 
at the time of Lumi Bray, this is where the children would sleep. Now it's a large display area where significant items to Louis Bly's life are exhibited. In the center of the room is a long wooden table <clears throat> with an old-fashioned looking Perkins broiler on it. There are handouts with the French alphabet in braille on it. Visitors can sit at the table and practice writing something in braille with Perkins brailler. And the, the caretaker was delighted that I was familiar with braille, that he didn't, um, you know, that he didn't have to explain it or he was very comfortable that <laughs> I already had that part down. At the far end of this room is a glass display case with, its, with significant items to Louis sitting on it. For example, <clears throat> the highlight was you would have Louis Bray's original slate and stylus. This, so there was something with groove lines on it, like the whole size of a large piece of paper. And then a metal slate was attached to it, to this grooved surface. And it could be, you know, pushed lower as you would braille each line. So the slate is as wide as the whole piece of paper. Like I said, and I counted, um, there are 40 braille cells, you know, typical, and then two lines that you can uh, braille and then push the, the slate down and, you know, punch it with the stylus. And then they had his original stylus there too. Some other things that are displayed in the display cases are some dominoes with recessed dots. I don't know if they were played with by Louis. And a checker set. And there are also eight different versions of early braillers. Since the caretaker knew I was familiar with braille, he was so excited. He went into a back room and brought out all these different braillers, you know, from from many, many years ago, not hundreds of years ago, but um, the whole evolution of braillers. I mean, there was probably at least 20. There's like a whole attic that he went in and he showed me and pulled things out. It's fascinating to see all of them. Also in the display case is... Um, are some of the prizes that Louis won because he was such an excellent student. Ironically, um, they were books and print. <laughs> and the caretaker, you know, you, you could tell there was a lot of irony there that Louis was receiving prizes, you know, in print. Also in the room, which was fascinating, was a life-size mannequin of Louis Bly himself as an adult. He was wearing a navy blue suit with an orange vest underneath it with gold buttons. You could see his white shirt with the white collar sticking out, you know, around the collar. His eyes were closed and he has a slight smile. So again, uh, it was fascinating to see, you know, where it all began. You can imagine Louis standing there greeting you, showing you these items that were so important to him. And also in the room, there's a small fireplace. There's a clock resting on the mantle. And across the wall are lots of family photos of the Bray family. So then we would go downstairs. And in the back of the house, we would find the Jardin des Cinq Sons, the Garden of Five Senses. So this is a sensory garden with lots of pathways around them. Some of them have metal arches over them with hanging flowers on them, all very fragrant and colorful. There are lots of raised beds full of flowers as well. So that is that is the home of Louis Bray. Uh, it's about an hour tour, and one can linger as long as you want. It was pretty informal. Well, at the time, I was the only one there along with my friend. 
So that is the home of Louis Braille. And that was three years ago. But just two months ago, on September 6th of this year, I had the good fortune of part two of this whole story, which was the Pantheonisation of Louis Braille. The Pantheonization. I didn't know that was a word until I saw it in France. <laughs> Meaning that wonderful state or state honors were given to Louis Braille on the 100th anniversary of his death. So let me back up a little bit from uh, from 1952 to 1852. Louis Braille was originally buried in the little town cemetery, as you would imagine. There's a little statue of him um, in the center of town. And if you keep walking, there's the town cemetery. It's a typical little cemetery. Uh, some of it's overgrown. It's some of the headstones that they've, like they've been here, been there at least a few hundred years. But I was determined to find, you know, the resting place of Louis Bly. I finally found it and it was decorated with flowers and I think he's buried next to his father. So originally all of Louis Braille was there, but in 1952, they wanted to give this honor to Louis Braille to be buried where all these great heroes of France are buried. But the people of Couvray wanted to remember him also. So this might sound a little gruesome, but you know, this is like, what is maybe so not so common or I don't know. They left his hands, so his hands were cut off, you know, at the wrist. His hands remain in his final resting place in the cemetery of Couperay. The rest of his body was reinterred in the Pontéon. So in 1952, there was a wonderful ceremony marking the centenary of his death, where the French state wanted to accord the highest honor to the genius inventor of Braille. And I would like to play for you a short clip from YouTube about um, this ceremony. And it's just audio description. I really like it. And it's, the very wonderful thing, too, is that Helen Keller gave a speech there. And one could read about that also if you um, look it up. But let me play this for you. This is Helen Keller in Paris honoring Louis Braille in 1952. We regret that we are unable to include the audio from the Helen Keller video in this episode today. However, you can find the video on YouTube and listen to it there. To find it, please go to YouTube and search for Helen Keller in Paris, 1952. The first search result will be the video titled Helen Keller in Paris to Honor Louis Braille, 1952 from the American Foundation for the Blind YouTube channel. You can click that video and listen to the audio there on YouTube. Thank you. We now return you to today's I Love Braille episode in progress. So it was quite a thrill when I was able to go to the Pantheon. Um, when you enter the Pantheon, it's spelled P-A-N-T-H-E with an acute accent, O-N. So in English, Pantheon, in French, Pantheon. It used to be a church. So originally it was uh, a church dedicated to Saint Genevieve, who was the patron saint of Paris. But then the French Revolution happened and, you know, different regimes. And it was not no longer a church. It was taken over by the government of France. And as I said before, this is where great luminaries of France uh, are buried. Some of them are scientists like Marie Curie, Marie Curie. 
is buried there. And many famous authors and philosophers like Voltaire, Zola, Victor Hugo. There are also some people that uh, helped in the French resistance during World War II. There are politicians. Um, many people are buried there. The, Napoleon is not buried there. More, most of the military greats are buried in the Invalide, which is a whole other building. And interestingly enough, there aren't a lot of women buried there, but in 2021, Josephine Baker, Josephine Baker, who many of you might be familiar with, she was African-American singer who made it big in Paris. They loved her there. So she was um, not her whole body, but some I think some dirt where she is buried elsewhere in France is brought there. And it's a big honor that Josephine Baker is buried there too. In addition to being a great singer, she also worked in the French resistance during World War II. So it's a great honor for her to be housed there as well. Okay, in the, so when you go to the Pantheon, there's a lot of um, beautiful paintings, back from you know, the time of St. Genevieve, showing St. Genevieve and the whole history of the, um, why she's the patron saint of France. I don't know, I know all of that. But the interesting part is you go downstairs, that's where all the crypts are. So that's where there's um, big rooms. It's, it's all very echoey because it's all stone. And I wanted to find, you know, the crypt of Louis Braille. Uh, there was some directory which I couldn't find, but I went upstairs and I asked and they kind of pointed me to it. So in the, the tomb of Louis Braille is something quite wonderful that no one else has there. So in front of the room where uh, he's buried, there is about a four foot by two foot sign that's kind of level that could be explored tactically. In the middle of the sign is the signature of Louis Braille. So it's, you know, it's in print, but it's like cursive. So it has like a lowercase L and a period and then lowercase B-R-A-I-L-L-E. So that was the signature. So you could explore that tactically. To the right of it is a bust of Louis Braille. Again, that can be explored tactically about two feet high. And even more amazingly, there are headphones hanging from there where you could press either, you could choose French, English, or Spanish. And then you could hear the dedication of Helen Keller, you just heard a little clip of it, about how she says, you know, for the blind, it's like Gutenberg towards sighted people, you know, who invented printing. So I, I wish I would have written it down, all of the wonderful accolades she had for him. But you can hear it when you go to the Pantheon, put the headphones on and compress English. And you can, it's not in her original voice. It's someone reading what she said about Louis Braille. So no other place, you know, of all these like hundreds of other people buried, no one else had the, the bust of, you know, Louis Braille and then this, the headphones with the audio recording and you had his signature. And then in Braille at the top, it says in French, a celui qui a ouvert à tous qui ne voient pas les portes du savoir. This is, um, quote by Hippolyte Conta, and it means to those, oh, it's to him who opened to those who don't see the, the doors of knowledge. It's all in grade one braille. Hmm. You know, in French, the letters are the same, except there are a few differences in punctuation. 
And then there are special uh, braille symbols for the accented letters, which means something else in English. I'll just do a little aside because I know, you know, you all love braille. So, for example, in the word français, which means French, you have the C with the Cédille. In print, it would be a C with like a little hook on the bottom. So the symbol for that is that one, two, three, four, six. Of course, in English, that would be and. So you have to get used to that if you're <laughs> reading Braille and French or the, the, the acute accent for E. Is that so one, two, three, four, five, six, which means four in English, et cetera. So your special accented vowels and accented letters have, you know, their own symbol, which means something else in English. But other than that, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, all that, it's all the same in French. There is contracted Braille and French. I don't know about that so much. Perhaps some of you could if you're interested. But anyway, and all of the, um, when you enter the Pontéon, there's a whole model of the whole layout of the Pontéon. It's tactile. In fact, uh, there's um, like the overview of the whole building itself, which is like five inches high, so you can feel that. Then there's also like a flat map with raised lines, so you can see what the different rooms are. It's all labeled in grade one French. Okay, so at the Pontéon, that was quite a thrill to um, discover that. So you would go into this little room, and in each room there are six people whose tombs are there. The one of Louis Braille, I, I took a photo of it, I'm looking at it right now. There's like a, like a wreath with leaves on it, and I'm sure it symbolizes something wonderful in French. And then they have a plaque that says Louis Braille, then it has the dates, you know, when he was born and when he died in French. And then someone had put some flowers there. Uh, I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but someone had left some white carnations there. And then it has the dates, you know, um, 1809 to 1852. And um, I think I will stop speaking right there. So we have a chance to open it up for questions or comments. Okay, so I, I see three hands raised. So how do you... Yes, um, the okay. first person up is Michael Moore. Thank you, Debbie. It's been it's it's awesome presentation. Uh, would it be possible to send that clip to the the I Love Bro group? Would it be possible to send that YouTube clip that you that you played? I would be happy to. At the end, you know, someone can inform me how to do that. Also, if you just go on YouTube yourself. And you put Helen Keller in Paris to honor Louis Braille, 1952. It's two minutes and 37 seconds. So that's what I put it okay. in. You know? Yeah, Helen Keller in Paris to honor Louis Braille, 1952. And then you can you can see it. Yes, it was, it was thrilling Thank to you. find all that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's perfect. Okay. Next up is Louis. Can you hear me? Yes. yes, we can. Okay, okay. Debbie, good presentation, as always. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you, Louise. <laughs> uh, when did you visit uh, Paris, uh, La Maison Natale and Pantheon? Oh, okay. Well, the the home of Louis Braille, when I was there in 2019, is when I visited. But uh, the Pantheon was just this year, like a couple months ago, September 6, 2023. Oh, okay. Oh, I have a couple of friends. They visited Paris uh, in 2020, 
and they visit La Maison Natale and Pantheon. And they told uh, to Madame Farida and Stephanie in Couvray about my story and uh, in Pantheon with Madame Michel Duen. And they asked me to write a brief history of mine. And I wrote, I wrote it, and it's, uh, the story is published in La Maison Natale and in Pantheon. A brief history of my uh, Braille education and etc. But I, I, I want just to, to, to tell you about this uh, situation, about this topic. Thank you. Thank you very much. And good presentation, as always. Okay. Merci y gracias. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, next Thank up, you. Thank have, you. We have Beth next. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, now, now, like, the School for the Blind where Louis went to, um, uh, is that still in existence? Like, can we ever tour that? if we wanted to, like, can... Yes, that's a good question, Beth. You know, I was interested in that myself, so I just Googled it yesterday. Yes, it's open there. Apparently, there are some students that live there. They also have things for the community. They're offering a Braille course for parents. And they, oh. yes, so it's alive and active. <laughs> so so it's called what? What school? Okay, okay the institute, well, institute, it's like institute, and then the jeunes... J-E-U-N-E-S. That means young people. Avogle. A-V-E. Wait. A-V-E-U-G-L-E-S. Institut des Jeunes Avogle. But if you just Google School for the Blind in Paris, it would come up. And, you know, you can, the, the website will come up in French, but then you can toggle it to English. <laughs> but yeah. I, I don't know. I, I yeah. didn't have a chance to visit it. Maybe that'll be my, my next trip to Paris. Because <laughs> I'll have yeah. a chance to visit yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, because I'm curious too what the old-fashioned Perkins um, look like. You know, when we talked about they had old-fashioned Perkins and oh yes, well, yes. Well, they go to the you know the home of Louis Bray, and then you can see the old-fashioned ones. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Debbie, I think what she was asking was, um, what does it look like? I mean, is it is it in is it similar to the ones today or is it um very different i think the keys are a little bit different right or are they kind of like a more like levers or yes right so some okay. of the ones yes they were like levers okay. okay and it was heavy duty wasn't it i think it was pretty heavy yes oh, wow heavy i've never yeah. seen it but i i've heard about you know sort of so well good presentation i enjoyed it Thank you. And, and Beth, speaking about if you're interested in early Braillers, if you have a chance to go to Madrid, there is a wonderful museum uh, for the blind there. It's all of, I'll just say a few words. Maybe that will be another time you can invite me back. <laughs> it has um, uh, like four foot high, like model, like the Eiffel Tower. You could go in there. You could explore like a four foot high Eiffel Tower tactically. It has the Taj Mahal. It has the Kremlin. It has um, fa famous places all around the world tactically that you could explore. That's one room. Then the other room is uh, early Brailers, lots of displays. So that's oh, called cool. the, Museo, the Museo Tiflologico. But if you just Google Museum for the Blind in Madrid, it would tell you all about that. 
I digress. Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, cool. Thanks. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Um, next up, we have Estelle. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you for the wonderful presentation. It's it's good to hear that now and then. Sometimes we kind of forget what we've heard before, and I certainly appreciate that. I was wondering if you know, or if anyone knows, if Louis Braille's uh, parents lived long enough to know what he had been able to uh, produce this this uh, ability for the blind to read. Did they know? Do you know? <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah, I, I don't know, but that would be a, a fascinating thing to find out. So if anyone knows, please share it with us. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, next up, we have Alice. Thank you very much. And Debbie, this is Alice Massa, and what a Wonderful presentation. I agree with everyone else. We thank you so much. I, it's just delightful to hear about your trips to Paris. And to follow up to another question, when my sister and her family were in Paris in the late 90s, I think 97, she did go to the school. Uh, she didn't make it to Couvray, but she went to the school in Paris and the people there were so nice and gave her a couple of books to give to me and other brochures and such that were in Braille and some were in print. And so they were very kind there and very generous to my sister who is sighted. Um, the other question, though, I have for you about what you've shared with us. Um, do you know, I assume there's some kind of uh, souvenir shop, for lack of a better term, there or near the the house of Louis Braille. And I just wonder, as with so many historical sites or houses, there are replicas, small replicas of the house, the historical home. That, and then, you know, one could touch that and get a better idea of the structure of the house and so forth. I wonder if there was anything available like that that you know of. And secondly, I wonder how the windows were made uh, in that period in history, how the houses um, had the windows, were they small or the very tall ones and, and so forth. Can you give us an idea about how much light would have naturally been brought into the home? Thank you. Okay, you're going to stump me here. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, I don't, uh, I don't recall a gift shop in the home of Louis Braille. Uh, they they did give us, you know, the handout with the French alphabet and Braille. And then if you if you go on the website, which you know you can, there's like a thing you you can click on. It says shop, but when you click on it, there's nothing there. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, okay, the other question was uh, about the windows. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, um, and if you go to the Louis Braille website, if you're sighted, there's a wonderful virtual tour. You can go into every room of the house, which I did to refresh my memory of, you know, where everything was as I described it. You know, that wasn't from like my memory of four years ago. I was, I was looking at the, the virtual thing. So I, um, I'm wondering if I could call it up now. I don't recall there being a whole lot of light and I don't, I can't really tell you, you know, how big they were, but maybe I, I could look it up. 
you know, as we speak. Um, <laughs> was there another question, Alice? And by the way, I do remember you, Alice. Uh, I, I it was so kind. I, I was really into Aid of PF. You know, I, I yes. should back up and say, the, the main reason I went to France was not only to see, you know, Louis Bray and all that. It was to sing. So I, I have, I'm a member of this um, exchange called the, the Chicago Cabaret Connexion. Yes. Chicago Paris Cabaret Connexion. So it's an exchange of singers. So I went there in 27, 2017, 2019, 2023 for this exchange. And then they, we alternate, they come here. Um, so Edith Piaf, you know, is like one of my idols as she is for uh, all of France, probably. And anyway, Alice, I remember that you sent me a cassette of, <laughs> of a woman singing some Edith Piaf songs. And it was so nice. Yes. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. I was hoping... I know with Zoom, music and singing and so forth is sometimes different, but I was sure hoping you would sing a little Jurel de Noël for us today. <laughs> well, I can't. Okay. How about if it's all right with you, I'll just do a little Edith Piaf. Is that all right? <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> all right. So, Zoom is, you know, very tricky uh, with singing. I'll just do the best I can. So this is, you know, La Vie en Rose, which means life. And like rose colored, you know, la vie, life en rose is like rose colored. Okay. Quand il me prend dans ses bras, il me parle tout bas, je vois la vie en rose. Il me dit les mots d'amour, les mots de tous les jours, et ça fait quelque chose. Il est entré dans mon cœur une part de bonheur dont je connais la cause. C'est lui pour moi, ma pollue dans la vie. Il me l'a dit, j'aurai pour la vie. Et dès que je l'aperçois, Alors je sens en moi mon cœur qui bat. La vie Merci beaucoup. Beautiful. That came out Debbie, I knew you could sing, but because, um, you know, I was used to be in the Sweet Adelines. We sort of talked about that, but I didn't realize how beautiful your voice is. That's the first time I've ever heard you sing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, Valine, when I told them that I sing, goes, oh, maybe you could sing a little bit on the chat. So, so uh, thank you. I, I didn't want to do it unless someone asked. So. <laughs> oh, no, it was beautiful. It came out great. Oh, okay. Yeah, was yeah it was nice. It was lovely. Yeah. Aww. Wow. So I have a question really quick. Um, is the, um, like the lighting, what type of lighting did they use? I, I would take it that they used like maybe um, gas um, lanterns or something to that effect in the house, you know? I don't remember seeing lanterns. There were a lot of candles around. Like oh, candles. Candelabra. Okay. Yeah. There's a candelabra, you know, on the mantle above the fireplace with probably mm -hmm. at least eight candles in it. And it seems like every place where there's like a shelf, there'd be like one candle, you know, in a wow. hall. So uh, maybe, yeah, a lot of candles there. That would have been interesting. 
<laughs> they must have went. They must have gone to bed early. <laughs> couldn't get much reading done that at, at night. Now Louie could, <laughs> but they couldn't. That's right. Oh, did just reminds me. They, did it? I'm sorry. Did it say how long he lived there in the house? Do you know? Um, it didn't say, but I, I seem to remember the age of 10, you know, from the reading I've done. I'm sure some of you could correct me, but I think the age of 10 that he first went to the Institut de Genevieve, you know, his parents mm -hmm. were so, had such foresight to know that he's a bright boy and he shouldn't be begging or, or all the other things they had pe blind people doing. So he won a scholarship. Mm -hmm. I think a, a local priest helped. He got a scholarship to the school and then... As you know, he was a student there at the age of 15 mm -hmm. is when he first came up with the, you know, the Braille code. And then he became a teacher there later, you know, with music. Right. Then when he was ill, you know, tuberculosis, he went home for a period of time. Um, but it was a very formative part of his life, certainly. Wow. And, and then, oh, just spark something. Someone asked me about, like, gift shop or something. Okay, well, in the Pantheon, there's a gift shop. And I bought a book in French for children about Louis Braille, uh, it was the same book existed in English. Um, and I can't remember the name of it, but they, they did have this, you know, some things about Louis Braille. They also mm -hmm. had postcards of Josephine Baker, Josephine Baker, of course, as a singer, you know, I had to get the postcard. Those are the two things I bought at the gift shop at the Pantheon. Okay, that was just a little aside. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> were the rooms big or were they... In, in their house, um, or were they relatively small? I'm, I'm sorry, what was, you're asking the about rooms? the size of it. The yeah, rooms? I'm sorry, the, the rooms in the house, were they, um, well, it's kind of hard to, were, did, were they pretty spacious, or were they small rooms? Was it a small, modest type house? Well, no, I, I didn't know this until I researched the other day. The Burrow family was pretty well off. They owned a farm. They owned two other houses. So Ooh. it was probably for the time it was probably pretty spacious. I'm I'm okay. really bad at feet, but let me see. Maybe <laughs> oh my gosh, thirty feet by oh no maybe forty feet by 50, twenty feet. I don't know. Yeah, you know, the salle commune, the common room. You know, that's where everything was. Oh. That's where you cooked and you ate. The, the oh, parents yes. had this little bed push. So it was that was spacious. And then okay. the workshop also was spacious, and then upstairs about the same. But they were pretty well off. So when the parents okay. died, Louis inherited the house. I read, um, and then each sister got like a house too. And then some someone got the farm. I don't remember, but <laughs> but they were pretty well off at the time. He was he was like well known. You know, Louis the father was well known for his saddle and harness making. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Anybody else have questions, Ibrahim? Yeah. Um, we have Devia up next. Oh, Devia, she's she's in India. Hi. Devia, I, I love you, Hi, Divya. Devi. <laughs> I miss you. I yeah, see you on Facebook. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such a wonderful presentation and awesome singing. Wow, I loved it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Well, um, and, and since you're a singer yourself, that means a lot. Merci beaucoup, Yeah. <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, my question was, like, is there a specific reason why the garden is called the Garden of Five Senses? Or um, it's just because of the, um, probably the diversity of flowers or um, plants there? 
Um, I don't know. I imagine, you know, you could probably hear the birds singing. You could smell the flowers. Um, right. You could, you know, tactically, <laughs> you could probably get all five senses in there, all except, you know, except for sight. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, but I, yeah, the, the Jardin des Saxons, the Garden of Five Senses, didn't, didn't really uh, oh. go into much detail about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it sounds wonderful. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> and our last hand for now is Nora. You, Nora, I'm pleased to meet you, and uh, you gave a wonderful presentation. And my question is, um, the, uh, my question is, when they bury uh, people, how can we cut parts of these off? I'm kind of weird to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, to cut out a little bit, could you please repeat your yeah. question, Nora? Internet problems. Um, I just wondering why they cut parts of the bodies off from the regular, from the rest of the parts. For like famous people like Louis Braille and, and I think you mentioned uh, when they bury somebody. We bury somebody small part and the the rest of it bodies are in a normal place. I'm not sure if I understood about that. Well, yes, I'll be glad to address that. Well, when Louis died, you know, his whole body was placed as, you know, it's <laughs> normally done, you know, um, buried in the ground um, with a headstone. But they wanted to confer this great honor on Louis Braille to be buried in Paris in this pantheon, the Pantheon, where all these great luminaries of France are. So the mm -hmm. reason they left his hands there, I would imagine, because, you know, with Braille, it's all tactile. So that was like an honor for the town of Couperet, that part of him remained there. They, you know, that's like their native son. They didn't want to give him totally up, I guess. And by his hands remaining there, that was, an, you know, an honor of his wonderful tactile system. That is my oh. guess. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, okay. Thank you. And you did a wonderful job singing. I love it. Oh, thank you, Nora. You're very welcome. Mm -hmm. I my internet will get better soon. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that's all our hands for now. And we're 11 minutes to the top. Okay. Um. Well, I wanted to say... Um, how fantastic this presentation was. I felt like I was there when you were describing everything. So you did a fantastic job of uh, audio descriptions. <laughs> um, and you. yeah, and I'm going to talk to Valine about having you come back and talk about um, over in, in uh, where, what, Madrid. Mexico? Madrid. Yes. Yes, Madrid. Madrid. <laughs> yes, Spain. Yeah. So I think that'll be really, really wonderful as well. Uh, thank okay. you. Um, since yes. we have a few minutes, would you mind, can I just talk about um, different aspects of Paris that one could please. experience as a, as a visually impaired person? Okay. Yes, yes, please. Okay, well, you, you all know about the Louvre, you know, the big museum of France. There is, um, I didn't go to it, but as I was researching, there is room where things can be, um, it's a rotating exhibit where things can be um, explored tactily. And anyone who has a disability gets to the head of the line you know there's like <laughs> this long line to the loop but i went um a few years ago with my mother you know who's elderly it was part of this mom appreciation tour 
uh, so my uh, husband and I took our moms to Paris for a week. They're all, all in their 80s. And then to London. Anyway, my mom used to walk her. So as soon as um, the people working there saw the walker, oh, madame, you know, come this way. So they took us to the head of the line. We got right in. And then we went to the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa, of course, is very popular there. There are hordes of tourists there. And there's like, you know, it's all roped off so you can't get too close because of the crowd management. But for my mother, um, you know, she, she can see. But any, even though she can, they let, they, they pulled the rope by it and they let her go right close, like maybe three feet away and see the Mona Lisa. And I talked to someone else who accompanied uh, a visually impaired person, the same thing. They let her go like two feet away and just really take it in the Mona Lisa because the Mona Lisa is not very big. So I would say that um, the French people are very respectful of people with disabilities, you know, as far as going to museums and whatnot. Um, they have a good website. If you just Google like um, blind in Paris, whatever, all these things will pop up. And even their website, you can adjust, you know, what the background color is and how big the print is and make all these adjustments in the website. Um, when you cross the street and the major streets, you know, there's beep, 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 beep. And then you know it's your turn to go. <laughs> so there are some audio signals too. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed that aspect, you know, of, of going to Paris is that it seemed a little, um, you know, welcoming to people with disabilities. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. Um, the other thing is, if you have any kind of mobility impairment, you know, sometimes it is a bit challenging because like in Couple, you know, there's like cobblestones in some places. So you would just have to, you know, faites attention means be careful <laughs> as you walk around. And um, and that's all I have to say right now. But uh, I really enjoyed sharing my experiences with all of you. And I hope you can all go to, you know, the home of Louis Braille sometime because that's where it all began. And it's a thrilling experience. And then, you know, as I said, to go to the Couvre, it is, it's kind of like a day trip. You have to take this uh, suburban train out there and then you have to, well, we took the, we took um, a taxi from the Disneyland Paris stop to the house, but on the way home, we took a bus. So it is possible. Uh, but it's off the beaten path. But the Pontéon is right in the fifth arrondissement, the fifth district. It's in the Latin quarter of Paris. It's up on a little, kind of on a little hill. They call it the Saint Genevieve Hill. As I said, Saint Genevieve is the patron saint of Paris. So that's right in the heart of everything. It's right near the Sorbonne, you know, the university. That's where I first studied in France. So it was like a full circle moment um, that I was right near the Sorbonne. I've, I've been to Paris, I think the last count was 12 times, as you can tell, I, I love Paris. Uh, but the Pontéon is easy to visit because it's very centrally located. And if you have sighted France, if you go to the top, there is the best view of Paris, even better than the Eiffel Tower or any other place because it's so high. There's a dome on the top. It used to be a church. You go to the top of the dome. It's a lot of steps, very narrow. But if you make it to the top, it's a 360 view. You can see everything very clearly. And it's, it's really the best view in Paris. And for that, you do have to pay a little extra to go to the top. <laughs> but uh, it was totally worth it.
And then there's the main floor with um, all the paintings. But then the downstairs is where all the crypts are. And it, it feels very, like, reverent. It's, you know, kind of... And they even have a sign to be, like, please be quiet. You know, this is a this is a reverent place to be. So people kind of talked in hushed tones. And then, but coming to the, um, the crypt of Louis Bray with that special exhibit, the bust of him, and that sign where you could feel his signature and can listen to the de dedication speech of Helen Keller. That was phenomenal. No one else has that of all of the luminaries of French history. No one else has that. So that was, that was very thrilling. And that was one of the most visited places too. When I saw the tourists, you know, where they were going, a lot of people went to the Louis Bray uh, room where he's buried. Okay. That's it. Any, any other final questions? We have what, five minutes? Yes, five minutes um, and no sense. Well, I wanted to thank you um, on behalf of everyone here, um, as well as I, I think I can say it for East Bay Center as well, um, even though I don't work there, but I'm speaking in <laughs> behalf of Valine. And um, again, I wanted to thank you, Debbie, so very much and I'm grateful that everybody came today and that you participated i wanted to thank you for your participation and next week valine will be back and i believe it's the is it the pole star you guys i can't remember the second week isn't that i have a question oh i have a question thank you okay i, I have to try to keep them straight thank you linda okay so with that i guess we will close off i wanted to thank um our streamer Dorsey again, and everybody out there uh, in ACB land who are who are listening, or whoever else may be listening, as well as I'd like to thank um, Valine, our uh, our Zoom host. And until next week, we will all see you. Please uh, email your questions to Valine at Shaw S H A H at East Bay. Center for the blind.org. Thank you all. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much, Bye, everyone. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.